Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about something that's been on my mind lately, and that is machine learning and uh, the ability for companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter to use their millions of servers to solve whatever problems they set out to solve. And uh, I think uh, <laughs> I wanted to bring in the fractal as another topic because I think there's a lot of interesting points we can make comparing machine learning and the fractal. Uh, specifically, we'll be looking at the Mandelbrot set, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I think it's Mandelbro. <laughs> See, I'm already I'm already uh, showing that I don't know everything about the topic, obviously, but uh, we'll I'll tell you what I do know, and uh, you can let me know if I'm missing anything and add it to your notes. So there's an interesting phrase that I heard for the first time at that Senate uh, meeting on commerce. And the phrase was explainable artificial intelligence. I think uh, Dorsey brought it up when he was talking about how Twitter was going to be more responsible for whatever he was being asked about. I, for I forgot if it was a Democrat asking him to censor more stuff or if it was a Republican asking him why they censored what they did. Um, but we know that these companies have a lot to gain by rigging various things like uh the, the biggest site in the world is YouTube. That means the most people... Actually, I could be wrong. That's in terms of U.S. traffic. So the, the top site in terms of U.S. traffic is YouTube. So that means every day more people go to YouTube for content and for answers than anywhere else. And YouTube openly admits that they raise up authoritative content when people are looking for information. So what does that mean? And how do they make those decisions? And uh, they've also uh, bragged that their algorithms have prevented uh, controversial material by 70%. They call it borderline content. And uh, I think it's very important for us to understand what we're up against. And it's, it's almost impossible for us to do that. So we kind of have to think about this abstractly because we're up against such a behemoth monolith beast. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a good way to put it. Just this nightmare situation where they're weaponizing math to solve the the the, uh, the question of psychology better than any of their propagandists have throughout history so let's talk about math here explainable artificial intelligence what is this thing that dorsey brought up in the meeting why did he say it and why did okay so here's the other thing is um now we're, we're having these meetings where they're calling in the tech giants and they're talking about how algorithms are being um, unfair to certain groups or causing hatred to spread or misinformation or harmful health information to spread as if like uh, now they're going after just the, the algorithm that I really love, which is just let the best content win out, give the people what they want. That's what I think uh, the people want, right? I mean, it's stupid to say, but uh, give people the maximum value. And one way that you can tell if, it, if it's value is if they hit the like button and they watch it, right? And uh, if they watch a lot of it versus just, you know, clicking away. So what is explainable artificial intelligence? Basically, artificial intelligence just tries to solve a problem using the data it has at hand to create as many different experiments as possible and execute those experiments using the data that it already has. And then using the results of the experiments 
to exploit to, to identify and exploit any patterns that come up. So that's just a straight up machine learning when done right. But ex- explainability is, a, is an interesting concept. So generally, the best approaches are kind of like a black box. I mean, they understand the mechanisms at play. It could kind of be explained, but um, it's finding a lot of latent patterns, hidden patterns that aren't even kind of don't even make sense based off the observable data. It's not going to tell you, okay, why does this video pop up for this person? It's not going to be able to trace that through and say, okay, well, these million people were considered and these uh, all these ratings were considered. It would take way too long to explain why that came up. But you could, I, my, my overarching point, though, and why I bring up the fractals is you can summarize it very quickly if you know what they're training the algorithm to, to solve. So there is an equation that they're trying to maximize. And uh, it, it used to be a lot more focused on getting people to, to watch a lot of content and, and push a lot of advertisements. But based on what we're seeing now, and it, it's very hard to, like, that's another reason why I brought this up. From an end user using their software, using uh, YouTube, for instance, it's uh, very hard to understand what equation are they optimizing for. What, what are the computers learning about us and exploiting about us? Um, and and that's, that's really where I want to dive in here. So explainable AI, so it says right here, um, uh, refers to methods and techniques in AI such that the results of the solution can be understood by humans. It contrasts with the concept of the black box. In machine learning, where even the designers cannot explain why the AI arrived at a specific decision. So certainly the user is going to have a very hard time deciding why the computer <laughs> arrived at that decision. And I started making a list earlier and I got distracted, sidebar there. Um, YouTube is very used by a lot of people and people go to it for information and they say they push certain content So and they say they suppress other content. So that's an algorithm at work, and I think it's doing other thing. I think it's doing a very simple task, but they won't say it, and that is it's a propaganda machine. And it's it's you know all the all this work is always going to evolve. It's like a new version of the interface comes out, you know, with with tweaks and improvements. They're doing that all the time. They have a bunch of data scientists, and uh, they're always trying to solve this problem. And they're going to shift as a company culture over time, uh, probably towards the dark side, if you ask me as in more, more mind control as their agenda. And they're always able, I think they're always able to uh, sell it to their product designers, their engineers, with some examples that let them sleep at night. You know, people should be able to see through the examples they give them, but I think the people with that plus the, the big bags of money they walk away with, um, they'll implement some things that are very disastrous in the long run, given how many people use the site and what kind of powers they they give to whoever can control the list of forbidden content or promoted content. So um, I know this is probably boring, but uh, I really want to focus on this uh, real quick, the explainability of AI. Uh, they give an example in here about um, how they they trained something to to try to recognize horse pictures, but the system actually learned how to cheat by looking for a copyright tag that happened to be associated with horse pictures rather than learning how to tell if a horse was actually pictured. So the computer can find patterns 
that you think, wow, but man, this thing's doing really well. It, it figured it out. And then, um, but it's really just a stupid pattern, but they'll, uh, but here's what I really see with explainability in terms of the discussion here. Um, I think that they're going to try to regulate algorithms and I think that they're going to try to, uh, attack mathematicians just like they in the past have attacked, um, uh, documentary filmmakers and authors and all this stuff. Uh, right now, mathematics, uh, plus the ability to run a lot of servers is, uh, one of the most important art forms, in my opinion, and not many people do it. Google, uh, has a lot of money and they get people to do it for them. Um, and Facebook and Twitter, but I think the people need to fight back, uh, with algorithms of our own, but, uh, that's for another discussion. So, interestingly enough, here's DARPA popping up. DARPA has a project called XAI, which I think stands for Explainable AI. Um, it aims to produce glass box models as, as opposed to black box, right? Glass box, like transparent, that are explainable to a human in the loop without greatly sacrificing AI performance. Human users should be able to understand the AI's cognition, both in real time and after the fact and should be able to determine when to trust the AI and when the AI should be distrusted. That's interesting, right? So a lot of this would be great. I mean, I, I think um, it's a bonus if you can get the computer not just to give recommendations, but also tell you how it came up with them. So that sounds great. I just think this is another one of these Orwellian um, message talking points, messaging points. Uh, where they're going to say things like, okay, we need to, you know, AI needs to be explainable. And then people will think that the computer is actually giving them fair suggestions that are good and they're, <laughs> and they're uh, appeased because of these uh, explanations that are given. But all the time, all the while, they'll be using these tactics like machine learning fairness to push all their political correctness and all of their um, policies of choice via, um, policies on on their services they'll say oh well you know our computers don't dare push anything that that uh, spreads hatred uh sasha baron cohen set us straight at that adl speech we don't do that anymore so um i just wanted to touch base on this topic here okay here let's look at this section real quick regulation as regulators official bodies and general users come to depend on AI-based dynamic systems. Clear accountability will be required for decision-making processes to ensure trust and transparency. <laughs> trust and transparency. So right now they have us trust and safety teams at these major companies, and they're like some of the worst people in terms of, um, you know, killing off our, the leaders of, you know, putting out content. They'll just ban them from platforms. and shadow ban out the at the wazoo so i don't trust all these these message points like as a computer scientist to some degree I, I don't really like the word scientist let me take that back as somebody who likes to program computers and i like math um a lot of this stuff sounds really cool about machines giving us good recommendations based and, and explaining how they came to those recommendations but i i just wonder like if jack dorsey is bringing this up <laughs> as a talking point, I feel like this is on the horizon. So I, I want to really front run and understand this. It says evidence of this requirement gaining, um, 
So wait, let me just touch base on what they said before there. Clear accountability will be required. Clear accountability will be required. So are they going to say, oh, well, uh, BitChute, you're not allowed to give recommendations anymore. And by the way, I don't like the recommendations on BitChute, but let's imagine that they implement an awesome recommendation system. And then they're like, well, BitChute, you're serving up hatred. Your algorithm is is biased because the data is biased. <laughs> Google even uses the term sometimes um, unconscious bias or subconscious bias. I can't. I think unconscious unconscious bias. Which when you think about it, you're like, so we don't even know we have the bias. It's you know, you're the only ones who know. <laughs> I get you. Okay. And then they blame it on the data. They're like, oh, bad data. You know. So I, I just see this coming and um, look at this. The European Union introduced a right to explanation, which again is, you know, now there's this other side of it. Like it's going to increase the, it's going to make it a lot harder for people to run a site that tries to compete with YouTube if they have to explain every little thing that every, that ever happens on their site to everyone. You know, if they have to jump through all these hoops, there's going to be fewer people that are able to do it, which, which really stinks for people like us who are looking for solutions. Um, the right to explanation in GDPR covers only the local aspect of inner uh, interpretability. Um, so I just wanted to cover that. I think this is going to be a big thing in the future. And let's just keep this in mind. Explainable AI means the computer can explain um, how it came to its uh, recommendations. Now, let me just point out before we move on, this is the anomaly in the machine learning world. Most of the machine learning world is black box solutions. They're just like, hey, we don't care how you do it, computers. Just come up with the best solution possible. We don't need it to be explainable. We need it to work. And they know it works because they see it happening, right? So that's how it works a lot of times. And let me uh, let me bring in chess as another uh, part of this conversation. Uh, let me bring the thumbnail back and this uh, chessboard. So here are some games of chess that I played the other day against the computer and just, you know, totally demolished by this level 25 computer on chess.com. And uh, I'm not a big chess player. I'm, if you watch, you probably see I'm making a lot of mistakes. Um, I'm really just trying to show like how ruthless AI can be. It can just get blood in its eyes if it's optimized to do something. It has no remorse. This AI doesn't care about my feelings. It doesn't care. It could be I could be a um, you know, a, a ten year old, and it would just churn along. It would uh, checkmate you in three moves if you let it. So uh, I I think it's an interesting comparison here. And if you tried to explain why the computer's making each of these moves, you could kind of do it, but you'd have, you'd also have to explain wh why is it not making uh, other moves? Sorry, I thought my mic wasn't going there. I think it, my mic's good. Um, you'd have to explain why doesn't it make this other move that might look better? And uh, it's, it's very complex. And uh, look, there I go, checkmate, or <laughs> they got a checkmate on me. So this AI isn't very explainable, but uh, what's interesting is they do at the end of the game on this website, chess.com, which uses a, a program called Stockfin. I think that's what it's called, um, which is the chess engine that it uses, which is like the, the world's best chess engine. 
they have competitions every year. You might remember back in history, uh, what was it like the seventies with Deep Blue, where they where IBM tried to make that uh, chess computer. It was actually a lot of computers connected. Now, uh, the way they they built this AI is by running it on a bunch of volunteers' computers. People would just like sign up, have some program running on their computer that just churns through chess games and decides, okay, in this situation, what's the best move? I, I can't even really explain it how it does it, uh, but it's it's very interesting. But look over here on the right. It, it goes over uh, all the mistakes I made or some of them. I think if I signed up, it would probably give me more reports, but it was like uh, inaccurate, inaccurate. This was the best move, mistake. <laughs> but still, it's like, okay, why is it a mistake? Um, that, I don't know. I just, you know, I guess I should learn not to do that again. So I think it's a... I think it's an interesting example here, the chess analogy. So I'm going to be using that as well. Uh, let's see if there's anything in this article from Forbes about understanding explain explainable AI. This came out uh, summer of last year. Let me just skip to the uh, the key part here. So people are beginning to trust these AI-based systems with more decision-making. And now they're like, okay, should we trust the systems? We need more explainability. We need more explanations about why it's giving the suggestions suggestions it's giving. And that's the the interesting thing about a computer is it's going to come to suggest it's going to come to um, conclusions that humans don't come to, and it's right and we're wrong a lot of the times. If it if it if it's operating correctly with the data as the being the driving force, it can keep more more considerations in mind. So uh, let's keep diving through here. Shout out to the chat. We have uh, Magic Monkey, Marcus, Jenna, Tab, Luad, Ryan. Thank you, everybody, for being here with me. Um, and we're going to get into fractals in a second and keep tying these things together. So I'm just trying to, to lay the, the framework right now. Uh, this is an article, again, from Forbes about explainability in AI. So it says here, however, most of us have little, little visibility and knowledge on how AI systems make the decisions they do. And as a result, how the results are being applied in the various feeds that AI and machine learning is being applied. So they're right. We have no visibility other than the suggestions that they're feeding us on our homepages and next on the right side of the videos, if you're like me and watching YouTube on your computer, um, or, or when you're doing searches or when you're scrolling down through the comment section or when you're on Google News or when you're searching Google or when you're on Facebook or Twitter you know, why are certain things at the top of your feed? Why are certain things at the top of the search results? You know, it doesn't make sense if you're just, if you're just a, a person using the, the services. If you knew what they're doing, if you knew their end game, if, they're, if you knew how they were using it to socially control people, you still wouldn't know exactly or explain, be able to explain exactly why something came up. But you would, you would know the root equation. You would know how it all boils down. And uh, interestingly enough, I hear a lot of people, um, a lot of social media pioneers, you know, quote unquote, uh, don't even have, don't even use social media or let their children use it. And uh, why is that? So let's see, I, I, I want to see if there's anything else in this article, because I, I really want to know why they're bringing this up as a talking point. Again, I think it's Orwellian uh, doublespeak. Here they say deep learning neural network approaches. As humans, we must be able to fully understand how decisions are being made so we can trust the decisions of AI systems. 
The lack of explainability and trust hampers our ability to fully trust AI systems. We want computer systems to work as expected and produce transparent explanations and reasons for decisions they make. So they're calling this XI, XAI, explainable AI. So it's got its own little TLA, three-letter acronym. So I, I just think this is fascinating to see where this is going. Like I, I have a feeling they're going to roll out regulation that makes people explain their AI and then Google's going to use all their, their double speak to be like, oh, we're so great. We're Google. Everyone else should have to comply with these regulations too. We are recommending this video because you liked this person, this person, and this person. And other their fans like these videos as well, or this video too. But you're going to be like, wait, YouTube, you deleted everyone I liked off your platform. Everyone that uh has, you know, come back with smaller channels, you know, trying to uh cater to the community still, you know, after they get nicked or uh, attacked. Um, they're all walking on eggshells, not wanting to get censored again. Everybody is uh traumatized from all the negative reinforcement that you're giving people and it's uh, a <laughs> it, it like they're gonna they're gonna be able to explain it really nice. All the, their their team's gonna make their algorithm sound great. Uh, <laughs> we've even heard talk about Section two thirty being revoked for companies who don't forego uh, inspections by the FEC. No, the uh, the Federal Trade Commission (FTC). All right, let's dive into the Mandelbrot set to bring the other piece of this puzzle together, and then we're gonna kind of mesh everything and, and try to combine it all into one um one point here if i can i'm gonna make a lot of points though and a shout out to uh, chester wolf and born again for christ in the chat all right let's look at the mandelbrot set so this is something i've been interested in since i was a kid uh, i think my dad showed it to me and uh I never really understood it though until last night because I, I knew i was going to make this video and i wanted to be able to explain it and I knew it was like a real simple equation, a real simple piece of code that can create it, but I, I didn't know what I was looking at here or why it was so complex and intricate. And I remember my dad, when he explained it to me, he said, what's so interesting about this is this all, and he was like showing me on the computer at the time, this all can be explained with a very small equation, a very small equation, and you get all this complexity. Now... <laughs> We have to cover a couple of basic concepts here. They're not, not actually that basic. I was pretty good at math, and I, I don't know if I ever really mastered this stuff. I, maybe it made sense at one time or another, but it, we have to look at complex numbers which involve imaginary numbers. Um, so let's look at real quick, what, what is an imaginary number? An imaginary number is, well, the most common example is the imaginary unit i. And what is i? It's the square root of negative 1. Now, square root of negative 1 is not going to make sense to a lot of people out there because if you try to figure out, okay, what's, what number when you multiply by itself gives you negative 1, there's no, there is no real number that when you multiply it by itself gives you negative 1 because we know when you multiply negative numbers together, you get a positive number just like when you multiply positive numbers together. So i is just this... May this made up term to describe the square root of negative one. 
And a lot of people are going to say, that doesn't make any sense. And I agree. It doesn't make any sense. But when you think about it, and I really like how this article uh, talks about it here on betterexplained.com called A Visual Intuitive Guide to Imaginary Numbers. It's, it's kind of comparable, analogous to negative numbers. So if we think about a number, say, negative five, that's kind of a leap of logic to say, yeah, there's a number called negative five. Or there's a number called zero, right? Or I guess zero makes sense. You, you could have no... Uh, you could have no chickens, but negative five didn't make sense up until, let's see what it says here. Like, uh, it was considered absurd until the 1700s to say negative five is a number. And, uh, people still, according to this, think it's absurd, uh, complex numbers. And I, I somewhat agree, but it's, it, it opens up an interesting, <laughs> a bunch of, uh, it, I don't even know if it really helps us that much. I'm not a big fan of like, like, uh, here's, uh, our friend Nikola Tesla, he said, today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments and they wander off through uh, equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. But then again, like I'm sure mathematicians would say, Tim, imaginary numbers are important. You're just not doing complex math. That is probably true. Um, but I, we need to kind of understand them somewhat for the Mandelbrot to make sense. So let's look now at a complex number. Complex involves real and imaginary components. So you can have some real number. You could have like three or two plus some imaginary number. You could have three I, two I, negative one I. So a complex number is um, you have a real component and an imaginary component. And you can visualize it on the complex plane, I believe it's called. Um, yeah, the complex plane, which has... The x-axis is the real axis, and the y-axis is the imaginary axis. Now, why is this important? Well, the Mandelbrot set is plotted on an imaginary plane, or excuse me, on a complex plane with a real on the x and imaginary on the y. So let's look at that real quick. I don't know if you guys can see. It's a little hard to see the label in here, but this kind of helps us imagine what we're looking at. So the real axis of the, on the bottom you can see uh, zero is right here in the heart of this cardioid pattern. And then uh, you have one, negative one right here in the center of this other circle out in front. And then let's see, I think like two is over here, right? And then negative one back here. And uh, upward, right around the top, you have one eye. And at the bottom, you have negative one eye. All right, so, and what are we looking at here? I should have mentioned this one last thing on complex plane. Each of these points is just a single complex number. It has a real component and imaginary component, but it's just a number. So it, unlike putting like two variables, one on the X, one on the Y, or two dimensions, one on the X, one on the Y, uh, this, is, this just represents a single number. All right, so I know this is a, uh, a leap of logic, but just bear with me. Let's get to the next part here. So the Mandelbrot set is basically the set of all numbers uh, where this equation doesn't diverge when you start iterating through it over and over and over again. So the equation is simply, I mean, I think I have it big somewhere. Sorry. 
Um, I thought I had it. Oh, oh, here it is. So z for n plus 1 is equal to zn squared plus c. So the next number in the sequence is equal to the last number in the sequence squared plus whatever your number is. So um, the best way to picture this is with this uh, visualizer here, if I can. Yep, here we go. So this is a Mandelbro set visualizer. I want to show you how this page loads. It's pretty cool. It does it iteration by iteration, kind of as an animation. So check this out. This is davidbau.com, D-A-V-I-D-B-A-U.com slash Mandelbro. See how that animates through? So the way it's it's um, coloring this is the black region is all of the numbers that are in the set, the Mandelbro set. And then uh, the other colors show you how fast it converges or how fast it, what's the term, diverges or just uh, goes to infinity essentially. Because um, if, if it doesn't contain, it, it's going to uh, blow up to infinity, right? Or maybe negative infinity. You know, I'm no, I'm no expert in Mandelbro, but so basically you can, let's look at just like a real number example, a real, so the real number, if we have no imaginary parts, so like, let's look at negative, uh, negative one. Let me see if I can find a. Let me just see actually if we if we can find an example so I don't make any mistakes here. If they walk us through one. Give me one second. Okay, this is a good article too. This is the one I was looking for. So this is um, called plus.maths.org. Robert Devaney called Unveiling the Mandelbrot Set. So this is the equation, right? X, the next number in the sequence is the last number in the sequence squared plus C. And C is a constant number. So if we start with the constant C equals 1, and we start with zero as our seed, we say, okay, the first number is zero, the second number is zero squared plus one, one. The second number is, or the third number, is uh, one squared plus one, two. That, so it's one, two, five, 26, and then it gets really big and tends to infinity. So that number is not in the Mandelbrot set. It has to be contained less than two to be in the, uh, the Mandelbrot set. So here's an example with a complex number, which is what we have plotted on the complex plane. <laughs> and I, I know you're probably like, why are you going so in, in depth into the Mandelbrot? I'm just trying to explain it just so I can kind of remember it. And in case anyone is curious, but I'm going to try to tie this all back together to, to my major point in a second. So if we use the uh, complex number, C is equal to I. So that would be on our, on our plot right here zero on the real axis, one on the imaginary axis. Wait, no, 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 I might've gotten that wrong. 
I think that was right. So then you look at the orbit of zero under x squared plus i. So you zero i, negative one plus i, negative i, negative one plus i, negative i, negative one plus i. So it kind of starts uh, spiraling around or cycling around. Um, if you use two i, then it gets out of control and blows up past infinity. So the Mandelbrot set is all this black area here where it's contained in the circle. And I love looking at it this way on their, uh, on the viewer here that I mentioned earlier, davidbow.com. So you can see the little, uh, let me make sure I'm sharing my screen. Uh, you can see the, let me try to, okay, that's better. Do you see the little yellow dots and the red dot, which I guess is the center of the spiral? It shows you how the um, how the numbers bounce around through to the next ones and why it doesn't uh, converge or why it does uh, blow up. So it's like really cool just to like circle around going into and out. So the black zone, you'll see it have like patterns and, and stay contained. And it's even cool when you go to like these circles out here. It's just really, really trippy. So that helped me visualize it to see. And it's remember every um this is the this is the real axis here. So this is like zero. This is one. This is two over here. Oh, and this is trippy too when you so it's also interesting when you look at, if I just stay on the uh, real axis, so no imaginary components, it, it stays on the real axis as it uh, ping-pongs back and forth. And interestingly, when you're in, um, when, you're, when you're in the black, obviously, it's going to stay under control. And when you're in the blue, it's going to get way out of control. And then the coloring shows you how fast it gets out of control. So uh, let me show you something else here. This is my um, computer here, obviously. I'm, I downloaded some code, some Java code, which runs Mandelbro. So let's hit the run button here. And here's the Mandelbro. So what you can do with this GUI, it's, it's not awesome. It's not perfect, but you can uh, kind of box off a new region and zoom in. So you can just see here how much intricate detail there is on this thing, which is what's so fascinating. And every zoom level, like I'm not sure exactly how much it zooms in. Let's say it zoomed in twice as much. So the width of the new thing is twice as much as the width of the old thing, the height the same. That means that the total volume is four times as much, or the total area, excuse me, is four times as much as the last zoom layer. So it's getting exponentially more and more territory the more you zoom in and uh it's it's amazing that there's so much intricacy here remember every time there's a black zone those little uh yellow dots are ping-ponging around and staying in contained <laughs> so uh that's funny i'm reading the chat uh born again for christ says I'm, i i pretend to be smart enough to get this but you guys wouldn't buy it lol I'm not smart enough to get it either. I just think it's interesting that there's so much complexity with just a really simple equation. And yeah, you have to kind of like 
go, go along with the the imaginary mathematical world of square roots of negative one, which doesn't make any sense to me. But when you think about it, negative ones do make sense to us, or excuse me, negative numbers make sense to us, even though should they? They're helpful. But are they just as much a construct? Maybe not just as much, but so it's just cool to me to see how much complexity and um, this is just a very interesting number set on the complex plane. And I also want to point out how how this is the whole point why I bring up the the Mandelbrot because my dad taught me as a kid that it was a real short equation that uh, shows all the complexity he was showing me on the screen, and uh, I just you know. I accepted it. He was right, but I never really tried to understand it. And I finally figured it out last night and I kind of wanted to, to document it here. So that's why I was going into it. And you can see how simple this, this equation is. Let me just show you in the code. I'm a, you know, speaking of my dad, uh, he taught me how to code in Java at a young age. He is a Java programmer. I don't, I don't use it that much anymore. I do when I'm kind of just messing around with this kind of thing, but, um, I don't use it for websites. But uh, let me just show you how it works. Basically, it sets up a list of colors to use as the different uh, shadings. And then uh, whenever it's drawing out to the canvas, it's calling this create image function, which takes like, okay, where am I? How far am I zoomed in? And then it goes over every pixel and gets the color, right? And the key thing here is it calls calculate F and then that's going to uh, determine this it counter number, which is a little a little hokey how they're doing it, but it may, it's fine. They're doing recursion, and I guess, uh, well, I don't know if it's recursion, but basically they're just deciding, okay, what color do we, do we uh, use for every single pixel, and then it draws it out. So the key thing here is the calculate F function. Let's look at that. So it has an it counter. This is just a, a global variable. It sets to zero. And then while the, the modulus is less, less than the escape radius, which happens to be set as two, I think that that's the, the magic number. If, if you stay within two, then you're not going to blow up. If you get past two, then you're going to start trending towards infinity and you're not going to be black in the, um, the drawing. And again, these, you could pick any color for any, meaning anything in there. The color is just a rep trying to represent you know, how the, how the series expands and how quickly it expands or if it stays contained. So also this is the other key half. This is an and here. So while the modulus is less than the escape radius and the iteration counter is less than the max iteration. So this is the bailout. So it's like, okay, only try this many times. And I, I upped it just to see what would happen. I think it started as a hundred, but only that many times and then you're just like okay this thing's contained <laughs> otherwise this first thing would kick out before then um so it ba this basically just sees okay how many iterations does it take to blow up or is it still contained all that time at the end and then the iteration step gets called once for every do the for, for every time this do while loop and then i guess twice afterwards just to for good measure or something. I'm not sure exactly why it does that. I haven't looked at this too close, but during the iteration step, it uh, adds one to the iteration counter. Fine. It uh, does this, which 
is adding the real components or multiplying the real components added together or <laughs> sorry, multiplying together the real components together and then subtracting the imaginary components squared plus the real component C. I don't know exactly what all these variables are, but <laughs> it's basically adding, okay, it's, it's basically using this key equation. The, the next number in the series is the last number in the series squared plus C. And the interesting thing in this case is that our numbers are complex numbers. So they have real and imaginary components. All right, so the key thing though is look at how short this code is. It's like 170 lines and a lot of it's just boilerplate and it, there's lots of spacing between every line, the curly braces and stuff. So it's very little code that, can, that uh, creates this extremely complex graph here. But if you tried to explain, here's my point. If you tried to sit down and explain this um, to somebody, you could just talk about all these colors that you're looking at. Like if you're, if you're running around in this fractal world and you don't know any better, you're like, maybe, maybe an artist sat down and just painted trippy stuff and it still wouldn't make any sense because it's like way too intricate. Well, maybe not. I mean, it would just take way too long for any artist to do this. So if you, if you only saw the shadows on the wall or the result of the, the fractal code running, uh, if you only saw the end result, it's going to look very complex. And it, it is complex to some degree. It does use complex numbers, but um, really it's, it's fairly simple compared to how much variety you get from it. So uh, this, this is my analogy here with explainability in AI. The, the truth is, as, as random as the suggestions seemingly are from Google, and if you're like me, you've noticed that the suggestions have gone way downhill since, say, 2014, 2015. Now, the suggestions don't make sense to us, and it's hard for us to reverse engineer exactly what's happening. Because we're, we're wandering through this very complex world of things just popping up in our feeds, scrolling through Twitter, scrolling through Facebook, reading what's coming up. But what's really going on behind the scenes? And I, I think, yeah, they, they do have kind of a point with AI explainability, although I do think that that's just a talking point that's going to be used to regulate uh, small companies out of, um, out of existence if they try to compete with the, um, the value that the YouTube algorithm gives, you know, albeit very little now since anyone with any sort of a fair algorithm can outdo the, the YouTube algorithm, which just pushes, pushes CNN and garbage authoritarianism. So, um, but that's what they're talking about here with the explainability. They say that there, there's a right to explanation, a right to explanation. And, uh, the, the truth is that the explanation is very simple. Google knows exactly what their computers are solving for. They might have a couple things and they prioritize them, but they've admitted that they, they try, they seek to suppress content that, that talks about medicine that goes outside of big pharma, what they call uh, phony cures to serious ailments. They don't like people talking about NASA or about save our children or about any number of, uh, you guys know the topics and, and I'm leaving a lot out. There's, there's tons of different communities who are being attacked by these algorithms. And, uh, 
if they were to expl- explain why our videos were showing up, it would be like, well, after we took out all the stuff that, you know, is, that we say is controversial, and, and maybe it would list them all out. After we took out all the content that you would like about this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic, you know, all the way down the list, here's a great cat video for you. Here's a video of, you know, some somebody building something ridiculous and just doing some outrageous prank or stunt or something. You know, uh, after we removed all the interesting stuff from YouTube through censorship and shadow banning, here's what's left. This is the most likely thumbnail to make you sit through three ads every two minutes. You know, it's like they're balancing, they're doing a lot of things with their algorithm. They are trying to help their, their big corporate buddies and sell like huge multi-million dollar ad campaigns that actually work. And they're also, uh, they have their own social agenda, obviously. And they're also trying to make a lot of money selling ads to people. So they, they do have a lot of things that they're juggling at once. And they're trying to, to I, I bet you their lobbyists are doing this. They're, you know, there's this new social responsibility. They're, they're saying there's now like a, a duty of care. That's what the UK is saying. And uh, the, the, the tech companies would love to see that. The tech companies, I feel like, would love to see more regulation. And because uh, they could deal with it, they could fight it, they can pay the fines, but who can't? All of their competitors. So I think this is very, very important stuff. So um, let me bring back up the thumbnail in my chess. The, the chess analogy, I think, is an important one because you can go right now if you have any doubt in the power of computers and you can go to chess.com and you can uh, turn it up to 25. And I think you'll be amazed at how smart the computer is and how uh, ruthless it is. It's not going to cut you any favors. Obviously it's designed to take you down. It's designed to kill that King on the board there at any cost. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing what it can do. And let me show you, I guess maybe uh, let me see if I can find it. Stockfin. Or is it Stockfish? I think it's Stockfish. Yeah. So this is Stockfish, which chess.com uses. And um, it's won the unofficial World Computer Chess Champion um, Championships many times, including 2020 and most of the previous years recently. And it's an open source engine by somebody named Todd or Tord Romstard, released in 2004. And it can use up to 512 uh, CPU threads. The maximum size of its transposition table is 32 terabytes, which is huge, especially with like compressed data. That is huge. Um, but where is this thing running is my question. I guess anyone can download it and, and fire it up, although I'm not sure how... It, how it works exactly. I've never downloaded it. Um, but this is interesting. They have a distributed testing framework fish test where volunteers can donate CPU time for testing improvements to program. You know what? That just gave me a scary um, idea that's probably going through the heads of these evil geniuses. What if they used everybody's devices while they were on their services, while they had all their tabs open? What if they used your browser resources and hence your computer resources to, to crunch a bunch of numbers and help them expand the amount of computers that are working on uh, 
exploiting patterns and basically solving whatever problems they set out to solve. And here's the thing, even if even if I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong and their algorithms aren't already extremely sinister, know that they could definitely use whatever technology they've created, flick a switch, and do something drastically different. And just imagine the impact that would have on all the people who use their services. And imagine something like a chess like a chess algorithm which tries to steer people's worldviews to certain positions. Now, I don't know if you guys saw it. I, I just released it on the main channel. Um, again, I did put it on the backup channel too. The, my interview with Zach Voorhees. And I actually reached out to him and I said, um, Zach, I just found an interesting uh, document in a video called uh, Google Sybil. And I said, theoretically, with this massively distributed uh, and parallel machine learning um, software that they're saying they're using for uh, Google searching and or maybe they definitely said they're using it for uh, YouTube recommendations. But they say, okay, let me just show you this document here. They say, uh, Sybil, a system for large scale supervised machine learning. Users respond differently to different information in different contexts. Learn model of what information gets the best user response in different contexts. Use model to decide what to present. But they've already come out and they said that they, um, that their idea of improving their algorithm is blocking and uh, shadow banning controversial content, whatever that means to them, right? So their their idea of improving their machine learning is at this point so warped and perverted that it's going to, it's getting disastrous already, in my opinion, from my perspective. So it says right here, uses of machine learning, and this is back in 2014, Sybil. And they've been working on this for years, I imagine. Improve relevance, improve site monetization, reduce spam, whatever spam is to them. Improve advertiser return on investment. So they're talking about their big time advertisers. So they're talking about using machine learning to more effectively propagandize children and adults alike. So um, businesses worth a hundred million or more. So they're, they're basically saying, we'll work with the big businesses who have big ad budgets and, and show them how Show them all their features, you know what I mean? All their brainwashing features. And they talk about their impressions and interactions. And my point is I reached out to Zach Voorhees and I said, is it possible that they could train their software or their their machine learning to, to steer people towards certain worldviews? And he said, no, that's what they're doing. And then he said on the interview I did with him, uh, that he thinks they're driving people towards radical leftism, radical liberalism. And I, I, I see his point. You know, I, I think there's other things they're trying to drive people towards, uh, namely things that would give Google more power and their, their allies more power. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to summarize it. And they talk about how many uh, logs they're going through. Hundreds of terabytes. That's so much. Hundreds of billions of training examples. That's you using YouTube and me using YouTube. Um, 100 billion unique features, tens or thousands per example. So to be honest, I would love it if Google used all this data and gave us good value. I know people might disagree with me on that. And I, I see their point given how evil Google is. But I think people have a right to, to have the best features in, in software. Uh, their privacy should be respected and they should be able to opt out. 
But recommendations, I think, are a great thing when done right. Not when they're done for brainwashing purposes or because Congress and Susan Wojcicki doesn't like or don't like the, um, the conclusions that society are reaching, that the people are reaching in society, I should say. Um, it says here, it needs highly parallel algorithms that converge quickly. Must train accurate models. Should be able to train hundreds of models Google-wide. So they're talking about what? News, images, uh, recommendations, and uh, it's, it, it's going to get more and more complex, more and more advanced. And uh, there's some very concerning stuff that they have in these documents. And um, that's why I, I bring all this up. So what are we talking about today? We talked about fractals which are very complex and would take your entire life and you would never be able to explain it to somebody unless you just look at how they are formed. And that is the, the equation where the next number in the sequence is the last number in the sequence squared plus the constant, the, the, the little point that you're on in the complex plane when you're trying to figure out what color to use. And um, I think that that's really it really blows my mind how how much uh detail is is um hidden in that equation when you actually start looking at how it behaves and um but but really it all boils down to something very simple and i think when you look at google's algorithms they also boil down to something really simple they are i mean it it, it could probably be described in a paragraph you know what what their algorithms are seeking to do and when we're looking at as end users, it's it's really it's hard for us to tell. I mean, there's any number of things that they could be doing, and we we can kind of get the the gist of it. I think I, you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm playing a, a a chess computer when I'm you know browsing the YouTube home, YouTube homepage. I feel like they're showing me content from people I like that is supposed to make me not like them. I think they're trying to show me content from people I shouldn't like to make me like them. And uh, I don't think that's um, always YouTube. Actually, I don't think that would be smart for YouTube to try to do this all manually. I think the way for them to do it, especially in the long run, is to get the computers just to churn through this and, and do it um, like nobody's business. Well, like Google's business and the devil's business. But it's, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, topic. Uh, Rune says, Stockfish is not AI. Leela Chess Zero is AI. That's a good point. Um, but I'm talking like uh, I think this is AI, right? Operation uh, Sybil. I, I keep calling it Operation Sybil. I think it'd be like Google Sybil or something. They also have something called Google Alpha Zero, which loses to Stockfish, but it's all uh, AI. So I should, yeah, let's talk about this too. And I know it's a bad example, but I, I just love to be able to show somebody, hey, go play uh, the chess, go play against this computer in chess and tell me that computers couldn't completely mind control the world if if YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter set out to uh, to steer the minds of billions, which why wouldn't they? Because they have morals, right? I can hear somebody saying that, but I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I don't, I don't know if a corporation can have morals. All right. Um, 
AlphaZero is a computer program developed by artificial intelligence uh, research com a company DeepMind, which Google owns, by the way, to master the game of chess, shogi, and go. The algorithm uses an approach similar to AlphaGo Zero. So on December 5th, 2017, the DeepMind team released a preprint into AlphaZero, which within 24 hours of training achieved a superhuman level of play in these three games by defeating world champion, world champion programs Stockfish, Elmo, and the three-day version of AlphaGo Zero. In each case, it made use of custom tensor processing units, TPUs, that the Google programs were optimized to use. AlphaZero is trained solely via, yeah, via self-play using 5,000 first-generation TPUs. So it just started playing itself over and over and over again and learning from it. Just imagine. I mean, that's... Like, I actually love this stuff. I, I love uh, machine learning. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. Like, I, I don't know how... I mean, I guess somebody could, could hate it or something. I hate how it's being used. I hate the people who are weaponizing it against humanity, and I'm trying to raise alarm bells because most people aren't going to ever see it by using the uh, the big, you know, buttons, the user interface that uh, YouTube and Google and new Google News and everything gives us nice, easy to use interface, and it's the 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 most complex uh, back end you could ever imagine driving it. So, um, basically, they can. And what what is interesting about this is there's a number of moves that can be made in chess. So uh, there's what 16 pieces on both sides, and some some pieces are are more agile and, and more uh, mobile can move around more. So that's going to give you more options. But and then as the game progresses and you lose pieces, you're going to have fewer options too. But my point is, compared to a game of chess, a YouTube algorithm has so many more arrows in its quiver so many more uh, bullets in its arsenal and it can use exactly what it needs at any precise time and even the act of showing it to somebody as a recommendation on their homepage is going to have an impact on them and the computer knows to some extent what that impact is going to be and every year let's think about this when did youtube come out early 2000s or something so every year they're probably getting probably like another 20% of their total in more data. That, that, I don't know. I'm just guessing. But more and more data is flowing in all the time. And it's just going to get better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, they can just be like, oh, we found a new uh, framework that our R&D team came up with. <laughs> our R&D team developed a new framework, which runs 100 times faster and comes up with better conclusions. And they just turn all their computers to running the new data science uh, algorithm. And against their entire data set throughout history, it, it really terrifies me. And uh, I just picture humanity playing this game of computer. It's actually, I picture like, uh, you know, Bobby Fischer, when he would have like 50 games of chess going on, he'd just like make the round around, make the circles around the room. I'm picturing this AI beast, this computer, just playing all these games of chess, one against every person in the world who uses their service and uh, we're all losing. And uh, some of us, I guess are trying to prolong it and drag our feet. And I, I know some people are going to be more optimistic and I think that's good. Um, there's a lot of the G the cat's getting out of the bag. The genie's getting out of the bottle. 
Uh, they can't they can't close Pandora's box now that people have uh, kind of started talking and getting out getting out diverse perspectives. But uh, yeah, so that's the presentation today. I I just think this is uh, interesting about the Mandelbrot, uh, how it how you can visualize you know all these very complex things. And it's all just a simple equation. So uh, let me know in the comments if anybody has any thoughts on this or if there's any uh, interesting topics that you think I should look into along this uh, line of thinking. This is what's kind of been on my mind lately. And uh, look into Google Sybil, everyone, and Alpha Zero, And uh, Maybe join me as I try to understand and reverse engineer why is Google giving me certain video suggestions? What is their simple equation that's giving us the the Mandelbrot effect, right? We have what seems like a very complex system, a very a world where everyone has a voice and there's all these different options and new stuff keeps flying across our screen all the time. But why is exact why are these pieces of information being shown to us and why are things being hidden from us and how advanced is their their um their algorithm and what is it trying to do that's the key question what is their algorithm trying to do i think they're going to try to use it in the future and they might already be using it to brainwash humanity massively and i'm trying to find a way to uh, a way to test my hypothesis and uh track this over time I mean, the only way that we can do it really is watch what kind of suggestions are being given and how it's changing over time. I know the quality of the suggestions are going down. Also, just the the creators that are getting censored left and right, and everybody's afraid and, and t- walking on uh, eggshells because they don't want to be censored out of the blue. It's just creating a very um, a very bad environment where a lot of people spend their time. Remember, it's the number one U.S. site in the world, YouTube. So uh, let me, uh, I guess, show you the solution that I'm working on here. It's called groupdiscover.com. And uh, there's a lot of videos that I'm adding in there, and I encourage other people to join me over there. It's $4 a month, so I, I know it's, it's you know, a little bit pricey for, for what people want to spend, but... If you join me over there, you'll find a lot of stuff, a lot of my uh, hard-to-find, rare stuff. And I'm always adding new documentaries. Like, I did, like, three rows of these yesterday. Maybe more. Actually, I think I added, like, 20 or 30 of these yesterday. And I'm I'm always crawling through uh, BitChute looking for gems. I'm looking at Brightian for gems. And what I would love is if we had a, a, a group of people over there uh, funding this this work, funding this channel by being a member, and also with the information that we're all sharing, and uh, for, like for any video, like this is a George Soros documentary, you just click copy URL and you're good to go. You go paste it off on your Facebook, paste it off on your your Twitter. We share the best documentaries we find and discover the best stuff, and then we can all get it out to the people we know in our lives. It's one solution I have, and uh, let me tell you, since we're talking about kind of the nitty gritty side of uh, mathematics and how they can add value to a system. Uh, I just want to show you what I'm using for the recommendations. Uh, it, it kind of has two components. One component is just 
the average rating per video. So everybody can rate each video one through five stars. And uh, that is one component. And then the other component is what videos people are watching. That plays into it a little bit. And um, the, the, the key thing, though, is... Well, not the key thing. A, a real nice addition is this thing called Mahout. And it's a real cool algorithm, a distributed... Uh, Somewhat, I mean, yeah, it's machine learning. It's 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 kind of a low level machine learning compared to what Google's using, but it's it's set out for good. Basically, it it allows us to use the K nearest neighbor algorithm. K nearest neighbor algorithm works really well at scale, which means we could have a ton of videos on there, a ton of ratings, and still come up with good stuff. Uh, K nearest neighbors basically when you're using it for a recommendation system, it says, okay, uh, so. Tim logged in. Let's find the 15 nearest people in terms of who likes content that Tim likes and doesn't like content that Tim doesn't like. So it finds the 15 people nearest to me in Euclidean space using the Euclidean distance formula, uh, which can handle more than two dimensions. Most people just know it as the two-dimensional equation. But uh, basically, it just finds the nearest neighbors in terms of uh, taste preference based on ratings and watching videos. And uh, then it finds videos that they like that I haven't seen yet. And those are recommended to me even even more than the uh, communal favorites. So uh, that's just an idea I have in terms of getting people uh, better videos to watch. And also, here's the key thing that I, I want to point out. Um, if I can uh, get people to sign up and join me over there, I can also bring this solution to other people and, and, and show them the success that we had over here. And I can bring this to uh, other people who are getting censored and demonetized and say, here's a ready-to-go system that you can use and your community can benefit from. Because there's two problems I'm trying to solve here. One is that creators can't be monetized as easily as before. And uh, there's a real suffocation uh, effect that's happening right now is the oxygen that gets soaked out of the room and we're seeing that uh in spades right now and i'd like to help solve that in some ways and then also um people are having a really hard time finding content so i, I think it'd be great to set up one of these sites for different content creators and say okay everybody in your community who probably have very uh, somewhat similar tastes versus you know people outside of their group you guys can have one go-to spot where you share all of your BitChute links, all your LBRY links. YouTube works, but you know those videos are always the ones that end up getting deleted. So um, just an idea I had, and it's real simple to use. You just click new video, drop the URL, click add, and everybody will see it at that point. And um, yeah, be cool if anyone wanted to join me over there. Uh, you can just use the coupon code YT purge 2020 all lowercase that gives you 50% off uh d stevens in the chat says in the d stevens in the chat says uh, i think running the data stream is the best solution all big tech relies on farming data create a browser add-on that just keeps running searches with random terms and words flood the system that's an interesting idea that's an interesting idea so like try to try to trick them into thinking that you're something you're not so that they, they can't exploit patterns in you. I mean, that's actually like a, a good way to combat um, information warfare that's happening. 
for me, it's more like I'm just going to to use whatever brings me the most value and, and keeping in mind a, any uh, risks or costs that I'm having to pay. And I'm getting to the point where I, I don't like risking looking through recommendations as legit options for what to watch next. I, I do keep an eye on them knowing that I'm up against a machine learning uh, beast and trying to see what it's up to. But even just looking at it, if it knows, oh, this guy looks at it and he reads it and it affects him, but he doesn't click on it, then they'll just start showing me stuff where the thumbnail and the text gets to me. And I know I probably sound like a lunatic. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm way off base here, but I urge you all, go play a level 25 chess opponent on chess.com and think about what if YouTube is acting like that ruthless, uh, vicious chess computer over there in terms of what videos it feeds people next and what comes up in the search results. Now, I am, I guess, you know, considering the fact that Google has bad intent, maybe I'm wrong, although they'd have a lot to gain from rigging things and keeping people in the, in the dark in certain aspects or feeding people false information or deceptive information that gets them off track in a desirable way, right? So uh, let me know in the comments if you guys think of anything else. I really, I really appreciate everybody tuning in and um, more videos to come. Oh, that's the other thing. I'm about to go to the main channel. Uh, that's youtube.com slash Tim Truth. And I'm gonna, I have a big news rundown over there. So uh, I'd like to see you over there if you have any time. Uh, come join us. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks for watching.